Welcome back. It's 453. A light display that puts Clark Griswold to shame. It's in LaGrangeville, New York, and it's in the Guinness Book of World Records. Take a look. Okay, there. That's when it starts to come on. Let's do this. Take It's 686,811 lights makes up this whole display. From spirals to snowmen and animals, dozens of icicles clinging to branches, choreographed to 250 different songs spanning eight miles of extension cords and an equally long line of cars. It takes eight weeks to set it all up. In 2014, this family won the Guinness World Record for most lights, and this year, they decided to up that ante by a few hundred thousand extra bulbs. Ah, question. In your mind, what adjective, what phrase comes to your mind when you think of almost 700,000 lights, eight miles of extension cord, eight weeks of your precious life to set this thing up, what comes to your mind? Now, I understand some of you are thinking, well, that's nothing compared to like the Winter Light Fest we have here done by the United Way. I, I get that. But realize the United Way's Light Fest, which is awesome, a gift to our community, is over several acres done professionally. This is one house, one family that is doing something like. I mean, come on. Whether you're at our South Campus, North Campus, part of our online family, what word, what phrases come to your mind? Now, I'm not going to ask you to share. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that because we are divided enough as a nation. And I know we're divided on this. Like some of you are thinking right now, that is the most awesome thing I have ever seen. And others of you are thinking, somebody needs to get a life. For some of us, it's the most wasteful thing we can think of. And others of us are thinking how celebratory it is. Now, I'll have to confess to you, I'm pretty neutral about the lights. I'm kind of like, you do you, boo. Whatever you want to do, I'm good with it. It's your time, your effort. All I can think is this, I'm just glad they're not my neighbor. Anybody there with me? Yeah, you know what I'm saying, right? I understand we think differently about light displays and the ways we celebrate Christmas and such, but I bet there's one word we can agree upon. No matter where we are on this, I bet we all can agree that is extravagant. See, extravagance is this unique word that can be both positive and negative. It means to exceed the limits of reason or necessity. That can be in a positive way, that can be in a negative way, depending on your opinion. It is a lack of moderation, balance, or restraint. And we all agree on it because of the flexibility of the word. Again, it can be positive, it can be negative. Like, the National Retail Federation expects Americans to spend 6 to 8% more this 2022 holiday season, bringing overall holiday spending in the great old United States of America between 942.6 and 960.4 billion dollars. The average family, one study shows, added $1,250 to their overall household debt last year to buy Christmas gifts in 2021. That is expected to increase in 2022. We would all say that Christmas spending in America has become extravagant, and most of us use the word extravagant in that case in probably a negative way, but extravagant can also be a positive word. There is a story that is often told this time of the year that actually dates back to the turn of the century, turn of the 20th century. It was written, a short story written by a guy named O. Henry. 
For you old timers, this O. Henry is not connected to the candy bar that you and I used to get at the store, okay? The short story is called The Gift of the Magi. I would tell you it is a beautifully written story. It doesn't take you long to read it. It makes you contemplate, makes you think it'd be well worth taking a little vacation from TikTok or Instagram or something like that to read it. But basically the story is of a young couple that is utterly broke. They can't buy each other Christmas gifts and it is the early 1900s. They didn't have access to easy credit like we have today. Each of them has one item of value in their life. The husband by the name of Jim has a gold watch that's been passed down to him from his grandfather to his father to himself. Della, his wife, has hair she's been growing her whole life and it grew well below her knees. Unbeknownst to each other, each spouse that Christmas, their first together, does something very extravagant. Della cuts her hair and sells it to a wig maker so that she can use that to buy a gold chain for her husband's pocket watch. The husband, Jim, at the same time sells his pocket watch so he can buy combs, beautiful combs, for his wife's hair. O. Henry ends the story by saying, the Magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men who brought gifts to the newborn Christ child. They were the first to give Christmas gifts. Being wise, their gifts were doubtless wise ones. And here I have told you the story of two children who were not wise. Each sold the most valuable thing he owned in order to buy a gift for the other. But let me speak a last word to the wise of these days. Of all who give gifts, these two were the most wise. The gift of the Magi celebrates extravagant, sacrificial love. I mean, come on. Of all the words that we can use around the Christmas season and our celebration as Americans of the Christmas season, it is the word extravagant. That's both positive and negative. But I am concerned that the extravagance of the way we do the Christmas season, if we're not careful, is overshadowing that which we're supposed to be celebrating. I mean, let's be honest. The Christmas season has taken on kind of a life of its own. It's like Christmas has become about Christmas and really not about Christ. Like the video I showed you, that Guinness um, Book of World Records, that home. I watched several videos on that display. I looked at all the pictures that I could find online and I noticed something. There's nothing of Jesus in that display. Almost 700,000 lights, eight miles of extension cord, 250 songs. And nothing of Jesus except the word Christmas. And let's be honest, the word Christmas has been detached from the Christ that's in the Christmas. Now, I will be honest, I haven't gone through the display. I'm not going to New York. If somebody wants to send me to New York, I'll go. Probably still not going to go through the display, okay? Um, I haven't seen every picture every year. So there might be something of Jesus in that display. What I'm telling you is if it's there, it may be present but it's not prominent. See, I, I'm afraid that in the midst of the extravagance of our celebration of the Christmas season that has become a celebration of the season in and of itself, we can miss what is truly wondrous. We can miss what is truly amazing. We can miss what is truly extravagant, extravagant to a level that our mind cannot even really begin to grasp hold of it, but a kind of extravagance that can satisfy 
The longings of our soul like nothing else can. It is what the Apostle John draws us into in his telling of the Christmas story in John 1. But I'm going to tell you right now, the way John tells the Christmas story isn't like anyone else. It's not like Matthew. It's not like Luke. There's no Mary and Joseph. There's no wise men. There are no shepherds or anything like that. John starts his Christmas story well beyond the first events of what we call Christmas. John says, in the beginning, anybody remember that phrase? In the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is purposely taking us back in time. Beyond that first Christmas, really beyond the beginning of what we know as creation, John is taking us back to the very first words of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Hear me, John is connecting Christmas to creation. And John continues, he, the word, was in the beginning with God. All things, catch that, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus, the babe in the manger, was the creator Listen to me, and he created what is grand and magnificent beyond what we can fathom. Like one scientist said it so well. He said, our universe just happens to have the right size, density, chemical composition, and balance of forces to make life possible anywhere in it. The same applies to planet Earth. Secular scientists today describe Earth as rare and lucky that it has precisely the right balance of size, mass, composition, spin, sister planets, and a friendly sun to make complex life possible on it. The more exoplanets we discover, the more our Earth and solar system look like an incredibly lucky row of the dice. At some point, chance becomes so improbable that miracle or design becomes a far better explanation. If only science were allowed to use these words. But Christians, we can state the obvious. All things, say all things. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. See, John is imploring us as we enter into this season, as we do our decorating, we have our lights and we have our tree, as we sing Silent Night, as we look at the Christ child and we meditate on that, think creator. The one who with a mere word spoke everything into existence, things so grand as the sun. Did you know that according to what we know today, the technology that we have today, let's admit, some of us are old enough to know that technology has exploded. It feels like things, almost anything can happen today. That with modern technology, the most advanced of technology today, it would take the gross national product of the United States of America over seven million years being spent with current technology for power plants to create the amount of power the sun creates in one second. Jesus did that with just a word. Inside your body are trillions of cells. Each of those cells contain what we call DNA. DNA is the composition of 23 chromosomes and 23, uh, I'm saying 23 chromosomes from each your mom and your dad. 
Scientists estimate that 107 billion people have lived on planet Earth. No two people share the same DNA. DNA is a three billion character code description of the unique you. It is the human genome. Scientists have not been able to pull a DNA out of a cell yet. You have trillions of cells, trillions of DNA in your body. But they estimate that if you could take DNA out of a microscopic cell and stretch it out, it would be over six feet long. If you were to try to read the code of your DNA, you could read one character per second and it would take you 96 years to read the code of your DNA, one second, 24 hours a day, 96 years. Jesus did that with a mere word. All the grandness, all the intricacies, all the magnificence, all the details of how everything works so wonderfully and perfectly together, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And then that word, the word that spoke everything into existence, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Talk about exceeding the limits of reason. Talk about going beyond what is moderation, beyond what is balance, what is restraint. Hear me, this Christmas season with all of its extravagance is shouting to you and I that nothing, listen to me, nothing is more extravagant than God's heart for you and I. Nothing is greater, nothing is beyond our ability to comprehend more than God's heart for humanity. Think with me for a moment. Think back to creation. John implores us to go back there. When we in the church talk about creation, we typically want to talk about the who and the how of creation. And that makes sense. We talk about naturalism and humanism, which says that the earth came about through this thing called um, natural selection and evolution. A lot of accidents, a lot of things that seem improbable to us. Others believe in creationism. We have creationism and divine design versus natural evolution and such. And don't mishear me. We need to talk about something like that. But when we come to the biblical truth that in the beginning, God, say God, God created the heavens and the earth. What we typically do as a church, and we stop right there. And I think the scripture, especially John's account of Christmas, implores us to go deeper than that. Implores us to go beyond the who and the how and to dare ask a question of motive. Why? Have you ever wondered why did God create the heavens and the earth? I mean, for centuries, Christians have held to the biblical truth that God and God alone is all-sufficient. Do you know what all-sufficient means? One ancient confession written back in the 1600s says it so well. God hath all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all-sufficient, not standing in need. Let that phrase stand out. Not standing in need of any creatures which he hath made. I'll say it simply, God needs nothing. He doesn't need you, he doesn't need me, he doesn't need fame, he doesn't need power, he doesn't need money, he doesn't need anything. So if God needs nothing, that is his reality, then why did he create? See, I think some of us think, well, God had this need somehow to create. He needs no thing whatsoever. So why in the world would he create? 
The only thing I can come up with is God had no need to create. God had desire to create. And that desire, believe it or not, attached to you. Attached to me. Paul, somehow trying to use words to explain the magnificence of our God, says, for God chose us, God chose you, God chose me in Jesus before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. See, from what I can see, God's primary purpose in creation wasn't to demonstrate his power. He didn't need to show off. He had no need to show off. He had no need to show anybody how powerful he is. He knows how powerful he is. He has no limits. He has no need to show off his abilities. God created not to demonstrate his power, not to demonstrate his ability. God created because he desired to love us. That, by the way, is why the world is messed up, believe it or not. God so loved us that he gave us the ability to screw everything up, and we did a pretty good job of it. You see, for love to be love, it must be chosen freely by both parties. See, maybe you've heard of this thing called Stockholm Syndrome. It's become a popular phrase. It is actually seems to be an issue that when someone is kidnapped, someone is taken captive, a way some people try to cope with being taken captive is what they call Stockholm Syndrome, is that they actually begin to form feelings for their captor. They f- begin to form attachments as a way of survival. Some who have been held captive a long period of time, actually when they are rescued, proclaim that they love the one who kidnapped them. Question, is that love? None of us would think it's love. And the reason we don't think it is love is because we say love has to be freely chosen. It can't be coerced. It can't be pressured. It cannot be under compulsion. For love to be love, it must be chosen freely. So when God created out of desire, he built choice into the equation, the choice to say yes to his heart and to his love, the choice to say no to his love. And he knew, listen to me, he knew humans, we would say no. He knew we would sin and push against that. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you here. If I were God, there should probably not be a phrase that scares you more than me saying that. If you were God, we had no need in and of ourselves. Everything, we're all sufficient. And we had a desire to create, to show love and to receive love. But we knew that the one we created to love us was not going to respond positively to our love, was going to respond in the negative, was going to rebel, was going to spit in our face, was going to end up doing things that are hideous to our very person. We knew before it happened that they were going to do this. Let's be honest. We would have backed out on the whole plan to create, right? That seems logical. That seems rational. That seems reasonable. But God's heart is extravagant. Say extravagant. That means beyond reason, beyond normal bounds of logic without balance or restraint. And nothing is more extravagant than God's heart for you and I because even when he created us, he knew we were going to rebel and he built into the plan of creation a way to deal with our rebellion. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before 
the creation of the world. But it was revealed in these last times for your sake. Listen to me, the babe in the major, the word that became flesh, the cross, the resurrection, all written into the original blueprint of creation. Why? Nothing is more extravagant than God's heart for you and I. In fact, I would challenge it is the extravagance of God's heart that causes us to push away from God in our Christianity. We either push away from God or we push away from the essence of Christianity and we try to make it a religion of do's and don'ts because we've been taught if something seems too good to be true, it is. And let's be honest, nothing seems to be greater than this. Nothing seems to be too, too uh, true to be right and honest than this, right? And then you add to that reality this fallen world. And our mind might know that as we as humans who really messed up this world, but there's a part of us that begin to question God. And all of those questions get accentuated during the extravagance of the holiday season because in this season we're supposed to be smiling. We're supposed to be happy. It is the happiest time on, on earth, we so like to say. We like to say it's the greatest time that we live. It's the Norman Rockwell painting, but none of us live that. We know this fallen world can be difficult. We know that there are people in our lives who do foolish things, and they cause pain to our lives. We know there's untimely deaths and illnesses and job loss and marriages struggling and concerns over the choices of our kids and such. The world that we live in can at times be really tough can be overwhelming and in the midst of this world we can ask the question is God for us is his heart for us that is what John is imploring us to go deep to really answer it is the question that the real Christmas answers in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, greater than all the consequences and brokenness and fallenness of the world, things which make us question God, is a baby in the manger. And he shouts to you and I, I am for you. I created for you. I have a desire for you. My heart for you is grand. It's why Paul would shout, what shall we then say in response to this? If God is for us, who does it matter who is against us? How do I know he's for me? He who did not spare his own son, but sacrificed him before the creation of the world. Gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Listen to me. Nothing is more extravagant than God's heart for us. But the struggle comes for those of us who've been here and heard this a lot. The greatest thing, in my opinion, that causes us to struggle with this is one word, familiarity. See, we, we have this phrase in our culture. It's not unique to our culture. It's actually been around hundreds of years. We've adopted it. But we like to say familiarity breeds contempt. And I understand the phrase, I understand where it comes from, but I'm just be honest with you, I don't think the greatest temptation of familiarity is contempt. I think the greatest temptation is that familiarity breeds complacency. 
that familiarity breeds apathy. You see, the longer we are around that which is extravagant, the more the extravagant just seems to be normal. And you're probably starting to feel it a little bit right now. Come on. Be really honest. Those of you who are around here a lot, when you figured out what the sermon was about, that I was going to talk about God loving you, there was a part of you that says, God loves me. I know that, Pastor. I know you're trying really hard. I know you're talking really loud and you're really fast and all that kind of stuff, but I, I know that God loves me. Been there, done that. I've got the T-shirt. We handle them out here at church all the time. We love our city, et cetera, et cetera. I need you to tell me something I don't know. I get it. We as a society are enamored with new things. And we often come in here wanting new things. You want me to kind of lay out some nuances of the scripture. You know, some things that are unknown, something that comes from the original languages, something that comes from this or that. We want to take this many days and add them up to this many days and they kind of weave together to say this, et cetera, et cetera. Let me tell you something. I've been preaching Christmas for 35 years now. It's the same story every year. I mean, when it really comes down to it, it's the same story. My challenge to you and I is that we somehow think we need something new, but maybe what we need is not something new. Maybe what we need is depth. Maybe there is a depth that God wants us to go to that our casual accepting of a fact like God loves me and it's actually hindering us. The Apostle Paul spoke some words to the church in Ephesus, but he actually spoke these words to you and I when he says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. How many of you want power? Hands up. Now here's my question. What do you want power for? Most of us, when we say we want power, we want power to make money. We want power to be successful in life. We want power to somehow help our kids get to where they need to be. We want power to do the things Jesus did to heal the sick, to raise the dead, etc., etc. It's interesting that when Paul said, I pray that you may have power, he says, I hope that you have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and high and long and deep is the love of Christ. And you may have power to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. You see, that which our heart longs for from our faith, the fullness of Christ, that we may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of Christ, comes as we know at a deeper and deeper level the extravagance of God's love for our lives. And that happens as we won. We just ask for power for God to reveal it to us. And second, we reject the fact that I know already that God loves me. And we begin to meditate so that we can grasp at a relational, experiential level, a depth of something that our mind will never be able to totally comprehend. Decades ago, I read words that helped me commit to a lifetime of journey of wanting to uncover the depths of God's love. They're simple, they're simple words. What God did makes sense. It makes sense that Jesus would be our sacrifice because the sacrifice was needed to justify man's presence before God. It makes sense that God would use the old law to tutor Israel on their need for grace. 
It makes sense that Jesus would be our high priest. What God did makes sense. It can be taught, charted, and put in books on systematic theology. However, why God did it is absolutely absurd. When one leaves the method and examines the motive, the carefully stacked blocks of logic begin to tumble. That type of love isn't logical. If I may, it's extravagant. It can't be neatly outlined in a sermon. You know, there's no time in my preaching that I feel less adequate than when I try to talk to you about God's love. I have tasted of God's love over the 45 years that I've been following Jesus. I, I know I've just begun to scratch the surface. When you're talking about something that is infinite, God's heart, we're going to spend all of eternity being amazed at the depth of the grandness of God's heart. You'll never, ever quit being amazed because there'll just be more and more and more because he has no limit. But I can say that in four and a half decades of following Jesus, I have experienced a depth of his love that's greater than when I began the journey. And I've experienced enough to know that every time I try to come up with words, words cannot explain what's inside of me. I, I, I can't get out what I've tasted. The phrases, I beg God for eloquence. That I could somehow so masterly put together words and phrases together that somehow it would unlock it. I'm just telling you, I don't have that ability. And I, I will say, I've listened to a lot of sermons, a lot. I've read a lot of books, and I, I really do appreciate them all. Well, I don't appreciate them all. I appreciate some of them, many of them. Um, I've discovered no human has that ability. Trying to um, explain to you the depths of God's love is like trying to define the color blue to someone who's been blind their whole life. We know blue because we have seen blue. We have experienced blue. But if you try to define blue, it goes beyond definition. It's something that has to be experienced. Well, if there are things in this life that have to be experienced, what's to make us think that there aren't things in our relationship with God that are intended to be experienced? Not just known factually. Okay, you know a fact that God loves you. But what we're longing for is a depth of knowledge where we have pressed deeper and deeper. I will confess to you there was a part of me when I started doing this message that I, I wanted to impress you with some nuanced facts about the first Christmas story. That you would send me a note and say, hey, I never knew that. I'm not going to get that from this sermon. There's something greater that you need. All I can do this Christmas season is to implore you to do that which John implored us to do at Christmas. Meditate. 
Meditate on the grandness of creation, the glory of the creator. Listen to me. We have an opportunity in this day and age unlike any other people that ever existed. We have all this knowledge about creation. Bless God for the scientists who have unraveled so many things, though there's so much more to be unraveled. Do you realize that science actually started by Christians who wanted to know more and more about the grandness of creation so they could understand the creator more and more? I know it's been hijacked by the naturalist and the humanist, but you can still watch the Discovery Channel. You can still watch Natural Geographic. Just reject the philosophy and look at the amazing things that God has done. I mean, walk around our area and just look at how God wired and made everything to work right here. And then think there are deserts, completely different geographies, and there are things that are uniquely designed to live in a desert. Some of us are crazy enough to strap air contraptions on our back and go underneath the water. And I do it for one reason. I want to see his creation. And there are times and places where you can, you can be there and you can hover. And I've looked down into the abyss where you can see no bottom. Some of you are starting to get real sweaty right now. That really bothers you. And I know from the Discovery Channel and the National Geographic that there are things alive down there. in places where humans used to think there's no way anything can exist. The Word spoke things into existence uniquely designed to live in the depths of the ocean, hundreds if not thousands of feet down. And he who could do such a thing with a mere word, he became a baby. And he went to a cross and I believe he went to hell. And I believe he overcame death, hell, and the grave. And he rose victorious because of his heart for you and I. That is the extravagance of God's heart. We need to spend time meditating. We've got to slow down. And we've got to think. We've got to ruminate. We've got to do a very un-American thing and get quiet. And get through the running of our brain. And while we're doing it, we have to ask God for the power to know deeper than I have ever known at the height, width, and breadth, and depth of his love. Because I'm telling you, that's what we need. That's what motivates everything else. You want power to heal the sick? Great. You better ask God for a depth of the knowledge of his love. Because when Jesus reached out his hand and healed the sick, Scripture almost said, almost always says, and full of compassion, Jesus laid his hand on the leper. Maybe we don't see the power of God in our lives for healing because we don't have the power of his compassion as deeply in us because we need to ask him that we experience his love and that love begins to compel us into the lives of people. I'm telling you, nothing brings peace. Nothing imparts joy. Nothing creates security deep within like an ever-deepening knowledge that nothing is extrav as extravagant has God's heart for you and I. So let's do this. All campuses, online families, take a moment and bow our heads. I'm just going to give us a second right here. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to dare you to ask. 
ask God for grace to meditate, to do what John called us to do, to contrast the one that all things that were made were made through him and nothing that has been made was made except for him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hear me, I've got nothing better for you. I've got nothing greater for you. Don't be satisfied with a cursory knowledge of the love of God. What separates our faith from every other religion? Every other religion is about do this and don't do this. Our faith, the truth, centers around the grandness of God's heart. Don't be satisfied with a cursory knowledge. Ask God for grace just to spend some time this season. Man, when you're putting up your lights, remember Jesus said, I am the light of the world. When you're putting up your tree, remember those trees were first put up because it was said in the law, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. But Jesus took the curse of our sin upon himself. And now the tree has become a symbol of life. Man, when you give those gifts, remember that no greater gift has ever been offered than the gift of life through Jesus. Meditate, think deeply. In the name of Jesus, I push away the thought that it's too good to be true. The foundational truth of all of reality is the grandness of God's heart. And I pray, Spirit of God, push it in us. Push it deep within us. Give us a power to know this love. Give us a grace to slow down, to think and to meditate. Give us a grace to receive. Maybe it is that you've never received the love of God because you have thought that the extravagance of your past life was greater than even God's ability to overcome. It's a lie of the devil. There is nothing as extravagant as God's heart for you. If you were to dare read the first chapter of John this week, which would be really good, John makes a statement, I think it's the 10th verse, that said, he came to that which was his own, but his own received him not. It's one of the saddest statements in all the Bible. God created out of his desire to love us. His heart was so extravagant, he knew we would rebel, and he made a way for us to be right with him to show us his heart. And he came, and we said no. But we don't have to say no. I can tell you with all certainty that who Jesus is and what Jesus did is greater than whatever you have done. And I implore you to receive it right now. And just say yes, yes, Jesus. I'll receive your forgiveness. You can say, Jesus, I screwed it all up, man. My whole life, I made a living hell out of it. And I know that there's a hell waiting for me if I don't change. I can't change on my own, so I surrender my life to you. I become my, your follower. Forgive me. I embrace your love, and I receive it. And if you did that for the first time today, maybe you're returning to his love, I would invite you to come to talk to one of our prayer partners afterwards right now. But for the rest of us, all of us, 
I pray. Abba, I pray that we would have an ability to be rooted and grounded in your love. Remove anything where we have rooted our life except for your love. And would you grant us a power to know and experience at a deeper level something that we know our mind cannot ever completely comprehend. Let us know your love. And let us be filled to all the measure of the fullness of your son Jesus is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.